Welcome to Chicagoland Parenting Stories. I am your host, Lisa Zimmerman. Let's get started with today's parenting story. Welcome back to the next episode of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. This is episode 26, and we are recording on October 3rd. My guest today is Megan Doyle. Megan is co-founder and CEO of Partum Health. After a career in healthcare consulting, Megan decided that she was just going to make her own thing. She is located in Chicago. Welcome, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here, Lisa. I'm excited to have you. You and I actually go way back to a faded coffee. I just love telling the story. <laughs> well, in January of 2020, we met to discuss Partum Health, and it was going to be so exciting, and, the, and nothing's going to stop us. And then it was, it was quite the long hill to actually get us going. Yes, we had a little road bump called the pandemic, um, but it is interesting. It's so fun staying connected and reconnecting with people who were there in that very early part of the journey where we were just kicking around an idea and kind of sharing our mutual rage over the lack of sufficient support for families. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, there was a little bit of a detour with, you know, handling the pandemic, which we didn't see coming, but I'm excited to say that, you know, Partum Health, we've, we've largely made it. Um, you know, we've been growing since 2021 really is when we ended up launching. Um, and we've got a lot of exciting things ahead. So, so wait, you, wasn't it November of 2020 you launched or was it, um, I'm trying least, to remember, cause I thought that I worked with you through, through 2021. Yes. We, I think our first babies were due in January of 2021. So we kind of think of that, Oh right. but, but I think we started, you know, marketing and talking to people that fall. Um, yeah. so it's around, around that time frame, very end of 2020 or early 2021. I know our due dates, I think our, our first family's due dates were in January of 2021. Okay. That sounds right. That's an actually, that's a good distinction to make when you were actually delivering care as opposed to just the great ideas yeah. around it all. Yeah. Um, can you introduce your children by their ages and name if you're comfortable? Yes. My oldest is Owen and Owen is nine. He's a fourth grader and Audrey is seven. They're a little over uh, two years apart. If you had to describe your parenting style, what would it be? I think my parenting style is like continually evolving and, mm. you know, I'm a big nerd at heart and big believer in growth mindset generally. Um, and I don't think parenting is any different. Like I'm constantly going through new things as a parent. My kids are going through new phases. I'm learning from the outside world, from friends, uh, you know, sometimes from Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> qualified professionals, you know, right. all, all kind of together. And, you know, I think sometimes it takes like when you go a little bit too far and being, um, you know, like pushing discipline or then you might kind of find a way back to that fun silliness. So that's, that's how I would describe it sort of constantly evolving and, and constantly changing. I like the term with growth mindset, because it is true. I mean, not only do you have to change all the time, but you also have to tailor yourself to like who your child is revealing that they are at that time, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, we're all learning human beings. So there's no, like, I'm a good parent. This person's not a good parent, right? It, it's all a million little choices you're making every day. 
And I do try to always come back to just this idea because I think we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves too as parents as to whether we're giving our kids, you know, everything they need. But I try to always just come back to, do they feel safe? Do they know they're loved? And, you know, pretty much everything else I think will will kind of work itself out. You know, yeah, it's interesting because you think of, I mean, I don't really think we should be judging other parents at all because you don't really know anything about their personal struggles, but also, you know, the kids have a certain level of responsibility, right? And so I read years ago for a book club, I read Sue Klebold's biography, which she was the mother of Dylan Klebold, who was one of the Columbine killers. And, you know, there was a whole lot of things that at that time we didn't know or she didn't know in ways that like your child's friends can influence them. And what if they are suffering from depression and they're suicidal and then you link them up with somebody who's homicidal. And it's just like, you know, and it was really eye opening for me to think about like, because at first when I saw we were going to read this, I was like, oh, like, what is she? What am I going to get out of this? You know what I mean? But I had actually never stopped thinking about it because it really was, you know, she was very, um, I mean, obviously she was very, you know, devastated by it all, but also like, you know, she was, she had turned around and had turned it into a chance to do a lot of lobbying on behalf of, you know, the way that we control information when these things happen. And then she kept seeing it happen more and more. And, you know, but I just kind of think out there, most people, I don't think, you know, really, truly set out to you know, produce damaged children. It's just things happen along the way. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think you're right that every kid, every situation is different. Um, I am a big advocate, obviously the whole point of (laughs) partum is really to help parents from the very, very beginning to have support because it is a hard job, right? And these things are going to come at you, whether it's you know, your kid having developmental needs, you didn't see um, your own relationship with your partner, right? There's just a lot of change that happens as you go on this journey. And so I'm a big fan of, you know, you got to get help, you got to get support. And hopefully we're continuing to make change that makes that care and support more accessible, um, which I know is a challenge for a lot of families with navigating insurance and, and payment. Um, But I think mental health support for you, for your kids is something that, you know, we believe every family should have access to. Um, You don't have to do it all alone, but it it, it can be hard, right? And there can Mm -hmm. be a lot of things you don't anticipate happening um, that, you know, like you said, every kid's different, every situation's different. And so the important thing I think is reaching out and getting help when you need it, when you don't know how to handle a situation. Mm -hmm. And then just hoping that that help is actually available and in your area because it's very hard if you're in a super rural area or in an area with like a deficit of providers. And I know friends that have had lots of struggles with their own children with mental health and literally can't find the help. Like there aren't enough people or they don't take their insurance and they can't afford to, you know, or whatever. Or it's like, okay, there's one or two people, but then they're not the right fit. So you you truly are back to a deficit of having providers then, you know, because, you know, all the providers in the world are great, but they have to be the right fit. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And somebody that your kid actually wants to talk to, because what's the point? <laughs> right. If your kid doesn't want to talk to them. Uh, without disclosing your age, which generation are you a part of? I am like the oldest possible millennial. Okay. Yeah. 
So you're um, right on the cusp of millennial and Gen X or I'm you're, on, you're a, uh, what did they call it? Gen Y? Is that what they called it for a minute there? I yeah. don't know. I know we're like in between and mm-hmm. I often find myself like feeling very stodgy whenever anything about millennials is <laughs> talked about. Cause I don't always feel like I quite fit, um, in, in that world, but I think technically, yeah. I'm, I, and I'm, I wear my age pretty proudly. I was, uh, born in 81. So that's right on the cusp. Hmm. Great. And as a somewhat millennial, um, (laughs) would you describe how you were parented and is that similar or different than how you parent? Yeah. I mean, I think there are some like inherent differences. Um, I grew up in a really big extended family and that's something that, you know, when you say parented, like I really truly think about that entire family structure as a big part of my childhood And I'm thankful that my kids still get to see a lot of my first cousins and aunts and uncles, but just by nature, we haven't had the same, the same numbers that we had when I was a kid. Um, I think the things that are similar are just that like grounding in, you know, love and safety and wanting to be there for each other. I think, you know, I grew up uh, a lot of my kind of formative early elementary years. My dad passed away when I was young. So my mom actually was a single mom for Mm. a good number of years and then remarried when I was, uh, I think a senior in high school. And, um, my stepdad's a wonderful person and I have a a stepbrother and we've made, you know, a blended family, but that very much influenced, of course, how my mom could parent because she worked full time. We were three kids signing up for every sport and activity under the sun. And so, you know, she had a lot to juggle. And it also meant that we had to assume maybe more independence than I think a lot of kids with, you know, two parent households have. Um, And I don't know, I think the way I parent, um, you know, try to always like take advantage of what I mentioned earlier about having resources and learning and, you know, kind of building on those same foundational blocks that, we had. And when I was a kid of like love and respect and all of that kind of good character building. Um, but also, you know, take advantage of having a two parent household. And, you know, we've got a little bit, I think of, um, a difference again, I live in the city, I grew up in the suburbs, so there's a little bit different kind of day to day and neighborhood and community kind of Mm -hmm. set up here. Um, but I, you know, I think I'm, very fortunate that I had that extended family and that my kids get to have some, some version of that as well. My siblings and my parents are super active with my kids too. So I don't know that there's quite a like distinction. It's more like a continuation of maybe how I was parented. Yeah. My parents divorced when I was younger. So, I mean, my, my dad is still alive, but like, I consider that I was raised by a single mom too. And it's interesting, like, when you think about like, well, if you had to do it, you could do it, but man, that must not have been very easy. No, I mean, you know, we, (laughs) my mom, she managed to accomplish a lot. And I think that is one thing like her, her value and her work ethic, like she worked full time. She actually put herself back through undergrad and then also got a teaching degree when I was in school. Wow. Um, and then switched careers and became a teacher when I was in, in college. Um, and I mean, that was like her furthering, you know, her own goals and wanting to 
like be better for the sake of, you know, what she wanted out of life. And I think that is something, you know, my kids see me work really hard um, at what I do, but I think that that's a really good thing. It was a really good thing. I know for me to see that from my mom, but certainly how she did it, like how she got up every day and managed to do the number of things that she did. I honestly, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it is really important for our children to see us work hard and try at something, whatever that is, whether it's your career or whatever you do. But I just think that like, those are those lessons that they do stay with you for a really long time, you know, of just like, just work ethic and just how important it is to try and things are probably not going to be handed to you. Um, and if they are, you should still work hard to keep them. Right. You know? So, yeah. Uh, can you describe the work that you do for those that may not understand how you help new families? So specifically, can you describe what partum has to offer for pregnant and postpartum families? Sure. So partum really started with this idea of trying to bring together all of the different experts and specialists that, you know, we found um, both in our own experiences, me and my co-founder, Matt Rogers, as well as in talking to so many families and talking to professionals like yourselves, right? There is a lot of people see their OB, but the reality is that seeing a fantastic OB is not enough, right? You, You may need help with lactation or mental health or physical therapy or nutrition, or you want to work with a birth or a postpartum doula, right? And these are all amazing services that can truly make a difference for families, both in their experience and also in their health outcomes. Um, and so what we do at Partum is really bring together that range of specialists. We're essentially a hybrid clinic. So we do some services online, some in person, um, and we work with insurance and then do some care coordination and um have learning and and things on a mobile app that helps sort of bring it all together. Um, But what our aim is, is really to get families, whatever combination of that care is right for them and to help them understand and access these services preventatively, as well as early in the postpartum period, if, if needs emerge. What is your favorite thing about the work that you do? It's honestly the most fun and you know, I've already revealed I'm a huge nerd. (laughs) Um, You know, I spent a long time on the business side of healthcare as a consultant. I had such a passion for, you know, really finding a better way for families to navigate this perinatal period. So the work is, you know, personally really fulfilling and it's incredibly hard. You know, we've had a decades long issue with underfunding research in women's health, underfunding and um, under reimbursing for services. So the challenges we're trying to solve are are really hard challenges. Um, These gaps exist for a reason. And it means that you've got to kind of bring your full set of personal and professional experiences and creativity to the work every day. Um, And it's just incredibly fun to be able to do that. Like it's problem after problem, but (laughs) all in service of a mission that I, I really believe in wholeheartedly. And that combination just like works for me. Um, So 
I know that's not like one specific thing, but it's sort of the combination of how I get to spend my time, you mm-hmm. know, talking to people, talking to families, raising awareness for these services, meeting with an amazing group of caregivers and clinicians who are like also so passionate about supporting this population. Um, it's just like incredibly fun. If you don't mind my asking, what specifically did you see as a deficit that we had in the existing system that you decided you needed to create partum health for to fill? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in reality, it wasn't until I kind of got out of what I call the toddler and newborn haze, right? Like those mm-hmm. first few years are so demanding um, on the person who's pregnant, who's giving birth, but really on the whole family, you know, it really wasn't until I had a little distance from that, that I started to look back and think like, why was it so hard and what would have made a difference? You know, I, I never knew what a birth doula was. So I was definitely terrified of having a C-section. Um, and I didn't know that one of the things that has been demonstrated in research to really minimize C-section rate is working with a birth doula. Mm. I didn't know what one was. Um, I never heard the words pelvic floor before I delivered a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, that felt extremely backwards to me. I distinctly remember, um, sending out an SOS text to some friends. And I think someone I worked with right after my son was born, because we were having a lot of trouble with breastfeeding. And, you know, I had to basically like use this text chain to learn about this thing called a lactation consultant (laughs) and, um, you know, had to pay out of pocket, had to wait, you know, 48 hours, because of course, like once you call, you've got to make an appointment. And again, that just seemed backwards to me. Like if we know people do better with preventative care in all of these areas, why are we making it hard for them to either know about these solutions or access these solutions? And so that's really, you know, to me, what made sense. I know that there's a lot of amazing things happening, thinking about midwifery models and birth centers and huge fan of that as well. But if you look structurally, like we are going to have the majority of our babies delivered by OBs in hospital settings And we have to find a way to approximate, you know, what we see around the world as the best models of care by bringing together more than just an OB, who's, by the way, in short supply and already dealing with huge patient panel sizes, Mm -hmm. right? Like they want the help from other specialists who Mm -hmm. can engage on mental health issues or, you know, physical recovery from birth. So you know, it was really that to me, it was just, it made so much sense. And it was like, why are we making this harder than it has to be on people? Why are we not putting it all in one place and helping them get the information, understand their options and ideally, you know, pay for this with insurance coverage as well. Cause that's, you know, a whole huge mountain. We're still, we're still climbing every day. Um, But one of the things we were adamant about from the beginning is how do we how do we engage insurance and make this part of the system of care so that people can access it? Right. I mean, you know, it's interesting because just knowing doctors, you know, and being friends with them, they do not get, there's no part of medical school that's really teaching you breastfeeding. That's really teaching you about pelvic floor therapy. That's really teaching you like 
you know, social work aspects of connecting people to care. So if you're lucky enough to get a doctor who's either been approached by enough people or has the wherewithal to figure that out themselves or works in a health system that values that and makes sure that people are connecting, you really may not get that at all. And I agree. I never heard the words pelvic floor until I was postpartum. And, you know, lactation consulting I knew about because I was a nurse, but I didn't know how extensive an outpatient lactation network was because this was before, you know, the mom's groups and things. Um, And then to piggyback about what you said about midwifery, I mean, just since our first conversation in 2020, that has really exploded in an amazing way. Um, And it should be seen as a complementary and adjacent thing as a, you know, we're like, okay, well now you have all these options. So if you are the kind of person who wants to have your baby at home and you feel like that's all going to go well and good, cause that would never happen for me. That's an option for you. If you want a hybrid situation, then you would be in a birth center and that's an option for you. And if you're much more comfortable in a medical setting, then that's an option for you. But it's been, you know, really tricky just seeing, even though we've had this explosion of like doulas are a household name, lactation consultants are much more, you know, known and popular midwifery models. I still hear all the time about just crazy birth scenarios, crazy scenarios when people are pregnant, the idea that induction at 39 weeks is the gold standard now for absolutely no reason. And also just how ill-informed people still are, even though, you know, They may be social media savvy, but if you're not following these kinds of things in social media, you're not going to get it, you know? And so I really respect what you and Matt did because I think it was very important and it was very needed. And it came at a very crucial time because the pandemic was not a good time to be having a baby or raising young children. But it also led to so much burnout among the doctors because so many, especially the OBs, that was an extremely hard job to have at that time. And I don't think Absolutely. that they get enough recognition for that. I mean, pediatricians too, for sure. But the OBs telling people you can't have both parents, telling people, no, you can't go into the NICU, telling people, you know, just their own resources, just drying up for outpatient things, you know, and then also seeing scenarios where, you know, there were a lot more cases of, um, you know, postpartum preeclampsia and things that were happening because of COVID. And it, it must've been extremely hard. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we do get really positive reception from OBs and, and midwives as well. Um, because exactly as you said, it, it, they want their patients to have all of this information and all of this support, but they're dealing with the constraints of the time they have with each individual patient you know, and being double booked to see, see patients. And it's something, you know, our chief medical officer, uh, Dr. Melissa Dennis, she's an OB who spent um, more than 20 years in patient care, and then did also some work in hospital administration. Um, And, and she's obviously been a fantastic addition and oversees all of our clinical team. But I think it's really important that what we're trying to build is, is complementary to that care. Um, whether you're seeing a midwife and delivering in a birth center or delivering in a hospital, and like you said, even helping people know those are options and how to access them is, you know, its own challenge. Um, but I guess the the thing is that we we fundamentally believe and know that your your physician wants you to get great care, 
Um, but also they have, you know, constraints. And like you said, they may not even have much training in their background on, on some of these more specialized issues. And so that's where seeing a, an expert, seeing somebody who can help you with breastfeeding, um, you know, who's trained in lactation or can help you with your physical recovery, who's trained in pelvic health. Like we believe there's, there's huge value in that. And it also complements what, what the physician is able to do as kind of that, that core, that center, um, member of the the care team overall. Mm-hmm. And then the ability for all those complementary providers to also understand what's important about what the other people do and how and when to refer to them to, you know, cause it's very important for me to understand doulas and pelvic floor therapy and mental health therapists because my people may need them. And that is outside of my scope. And I should not be taking that on. That's why we have a team. That's why we build, you know, these models. But once again, it's like, you have to have those providers in your area. You have to know about those providers. And you also have to have people that can afford to possibly not have that be covered by insurance and pay out of pocket. Um, so we've definitely got a lot more work to do. <laughs> we do. We do. But what fun would it be really, Lisa, if there wasn't, you know, a huge challenge ahead, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause you're like, well, this is what I do. I solve problems. Yeah. <laughs> Did you always want to be a parent? Yes. Um, it's interesting because now I think being in this stage of life, it's people will ask you more who, you know, maybe are thinking of having kids. Like I, I, it's not like I had a big, um, it was more like, I always assumed that I was going to have kids. And partially because, as I mentioned, I grew up in this huge family. I have, you know, dozens of cousins and, and that was just like very core to my entire early experience, um, my childhood and, and I love it. You know, I, I love having like big family parties and, and I was babysitting quotes, babysitting, you know, from the time I was 10 and 11, I was like minding the other little cousins at, at parties and stuff. So I, it was always like a natural inclination and also something that I, I did want because of the, the impact that it had on my own upbringing. At what age of your child do you really think you start parenting? I mean, I think, you know, going back to my theme, maybe parenting looks really different in the different stages, but from the moment that you are pregnant or even trying to conceive sometimes, like you have to start adjusting your norms, your routines for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's maybe not as intense as when you're feeding somebody 24 seven from your body or you know, we were just talking before we started about getting into the preteen and early teen years where the demands again are going to change. But, you know, to me, it's all, all parenting in one form or another, just lots of different hills and valleys and twists along the way. It is true because, you know, you do have to change. Obviously your sleep can change what you're, you're able to eat, how you sleep, you have to lay on your left side, all those things. And so you do start sharing your body with another person. So if nothing else, that is the, and it's a very slow progression, which I always feel like it's a very smart design. How long we're pregnant. It is forever. It is truly three seasons. (laughs) Like nine months is like, it sounds glorifying, but it isn't three seasons. It is a long time, you know, but I always feel like, but that, that slow roll is actually great because you wrap your head around it you know, as a, as, 
as the person who's birthing the baby. You get a chance to do that. The partner, on the other hand, they become a parent in a minute. And I find that completely overwhelming. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting, like, you know, we started partum really with this focus on the postpartum, because like you said, you're in this like slow adjustment and for both the partner and the birthing person, it's like, you know, once that baby's born, things do obviously shift really radically. Um, and so you're not learning anymore at the pace that you learned during pregnancy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? All of a sudden, like a lot's coming at you. And when we started part of it, it was really like that, that universal moment that I think most parents feel when you get home, you look at your baby and you're <laughs> like, oh my God, like now what? And <laughs> what do we do? Right. It's, it's like, that is the part where all of a sudden the support and the books and they kind of like disappear. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's one of the things that, that we're really trying to help families prepare for is know what you might need in those moments, like have support on hand and, and whether you can, you know, you have budget to put toward a postpartum doula, or you have that trusted friend who, you know, is going to like show up and do laundry and hold the baby while you can nap. Like we're very much trying to facilitate a shift in how people think about those early days of parenting to one that is more community, more, like you said about the caregivers as well, like more team oriented um, because there are just so many needs. And it's, it's crazy to me how you just sort of drop off this cliff after you have the baby in terms of your own, you know, care and support and health and well-being. And so we're very much trying to change that. I also think we realize like that moment is pretty overwhelming. And so you have to actually start prepping for this like early in pregnancy, like that, that, that long preparation time has to also be about, well, what do we want our, our postpartum and our early parenting, you know, days and months and weeks to look like. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really important. And I always like the idea of broaching the subject with people that like, it's okay to grieve like who you were because like when you're in the throes of those early days, this is all you can see forever. And you feel like you're never going to be able to go out to brunch with your friends anymore. You're never going to be able to go on a date night. You're never going to be able to just go to the store independently. You know, as we were talking about before we started, how I can actually leave my son home alone now. This is a huge, you know, and you forget like how liberating it is just to be like, oh, I could just go and you'll be fine. You know? And, but I think that that is, you know, and that's the thing that, you know, and I used to run mom's groups all the time that always be like, well, but nobody told us, I don't understand how nobody told us. And I was like, okay, then how would you explain it? And then it's like crickets. Cause it's like, it's really difficult to understand that. But I think it's important just to keep in mind. And that's where that mental health component comes in that like, it's okay to grieve, you know, like you have left something you always joke around. You're, you're the new operating system. You can't go back, you know, but it's okay to grieve the old one. It's okay to say, wow, I really miss the Megan that could just pick up and do, you know, you don't even remember anymore, which you used to do, but you used to do things, right? I feel like I used to leave the country, travel internationally. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, things one day I aspire to get back to, but no, you're, you're right. I think, um, you know, it's both about like being able to grieve those things. And I, I also think it's just as important to be able to have a conversation about what you, what you want to preserve and like, what's going to help you weather this period and mm-hmm. feel maybe not a hundred percent like the same person you used to be, but, you know, to feel like you're making that transition. Right. And you're bringing some of the qualities or some of the needs, like whether it's, you're a 
high sleep need kind of person or um, eating healthy is super important to you. Some of these things that seem pretty basic or working out like can become really challenging when you have a whole new routine and a whole new human to care for. But I think it's both about being able to accept that there are are some things that maybe for a little while you're not going to be able to do the way you used to, but also okay to advocate and and give yourself the room to say like, no, this is these are things I do want to claim and like figure out how to make them happen to the extent you know you can. Because um, I think a lot of times people just don't do that second part and it does feel then like you've given up so, so much, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think it's both. It's It's being able to let go of things, but also knowing what those big rocks are that like are going to help you stay anchored and feel great and you know weather these transitions um and and those will probably change over time too right Mm -hmm. yep and just accepting the new normal but you know seeing the beauty in it too because it it all it is all good what is your most embarrassing parenting moment oh i think um (laughs) you know kind of mentioned earlier the like city suburbs thing but there was a moment at I guess maybe it was like a five-year-old well visit um where they start asking you just like oh you know can your kid do this or actually I think they're asking the kid and um they started asking like can you ride a bike and I don't know maybe this isn't maybe embarrassing is not the right word but it was just like a weird realization where I was like wow I don't think we've tried to like teach Owen to ride a bike, which <laughs> seems like a pretty basic thing for it's any like kid. that's on the list of 101. You're supposed to yeah. teach your kid how to ride a bike. Yeah. Um, and we were like, you know, just sort of like, huh, guess we should get on that. Like, but I think it just speaks to one, like how fast, you know, like the time goes by. It just mm-hmm. we didn't realize he's getting to that age where, oh yeah, that's like a good representation of gross motor skills and all this stuff. Um, you know, and there continue to be those moments where you're like, huh, I guess, I guess we should get on that thing. That seems like a core childhood kind of thing. And especially if your kid doesn't like seek it out, right. The years can just sort of go by. So yeah, that was like a big realization where we were like, oh, right. Like (laughs) basic kid stuff. 101. Got to make some time for that. Yeah. And I guess I could see your point of being like, is it city versus suburbs? Meaning like they would have seen a lot more kids on their bikes possibly. And therefore had been asking more, it would have made you trigger it or something like that. But it is true where you're like, oh, I guess you are old enough to do this now. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, that's oh. right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, you know, that's one of those places where I think like my extended family, my mom, she's always really good about being like, they should be able to do that. And I'm like, you're right. They should. <laughs> well, and it's hard because you're so busy in the day to day, you know, you need those. That's why you need a lot of people. You need people yeah. to look at the the big picture and say, wait a minute. Yeah. If you had friendships when your children are babies, how important are those to you now? And do you still keep in touch? You know, I am very fortunate that I have a really fantastic crew of mostly women from both my undergrad and grad school and even high school days that are like, that I'm in really frequent contact with. However, many of them don't live in Chicago. Um, so I did also have like sort of a, a random, you know, group of women that I met when my son was an infant, I was on maternity leave and I've sort of followed those women. Actually, one of them randomly emailed me yesterday because she saw some news on partum health. And, um, 
she's like, I don't know if you remember me. I'm like, of course I remember you. <laughs> You're my war buddy. Are you kidding right, me? Right. Like we were, you know, there. So it's sort of like these two different, you know, worlds for me, because I do think there's a really interesting like need you have in, in just this very specific time where you're like, you need to get out of the house. You need to like, just talk to somebody else who is going through the same like sleepless things or worrying about the same things or wondering the same things. Um, and so I had a lot of that, you know, via text with friends who were elsewhere, whose kids were maybe some exactly my kid's age, some a little older, some a little younger. Um, but it was also nice to have like a group of women. I didn't really know outside of this connection. And I could just, we could just blab on about like whatever was happening that week with our infants. And it's yeah. sort of this like super specific need. Yeah. Um, like your parenting friends. Yeah. Yeah. But they're also in the trenches with you at the same time. So it makes such yeah. a big difference. Yeah. What do you see as the biggest trend in parenting right now? The thing that I see is, you know, parents mostly putting a lot of pressure on themselves to to do things right for their kids, right? Like, and not just like the big stuff, like you talked about, have I taught my kid to like tie their shoes or ride a bike? Um, but just like the constant stream of, okay, are we feeding them the right nutritious meals? Are we thinking about screen time and technology and, you know, giving them the right support for school? Like, I think the overarching theme is just that most parents are putting a lot of pressure on themselves mm, mm-hmm. to like become an expert in all of these things so that they're kind of giving their child the best possible experience, right? Like think of all the things you can see on social media now about social emotional development. And, and while in some ways, I think that's really great because we're giving people tools and tips and information. I think it also like carries this sneaky expectation that, oh, by the way, I'm behaving as though I have a, like, I'm a clinical psychologist mm-hmm. that knows childhood behavior and development, right? Um, so that's probably the biggest thing is like that tension between just the basics of like fed, safe, loved, and like- <laughs> Alive. <laughs> alive, right? And like, is that my job or is my job also to help them like properly process emotions and, you know, and so I think the aim that I try to go for is like sneaking in those, those other learnings and trying things out when I can, but like just not getting too worked up about it because Mm -hmm. that's what, what I see with a lot of parents is like this feeling like you have to be constantly learning and investing and, you know, doing all of these things to, to really like be the optimal parent. Um, and it's just like really hard. It's really hard to do. Well, and it's a good question too, when it comes down to modeling in terms of how much they're watching and your modeling behavior, is your anxiety being transferred to your child because they see you, you know, you can't just, you're not just kicking back sometimes and just, you know, just being you. And, and that's, I don't know what the answer really is with that, but it's always, I think something just to kind of keep in mind that, you know, on some level, they're really people they just grow into who they are, but a lot of their personality, I mean, I can look at baby pictures of my son and he's totally who he is now, (laughs) you know, whether it's how he looks or how he acts or, you know, some kind of thing. Right. And it's like, wow, they're pretty formed from the get-go. They just like reveal themselves to you little by little. Yeah. And then you adapt. Yeah. 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think that that was a great, that's a great thing to think about in terms of parenting trends too, because I haven't thought about it that way, but you're right. They're the Uber information. Like I see it from the lactation perspective, but I'm not seeing it from the overarching expectation of parents, but it's true. If I go into my Google app and I'm just scrolling news, it's like three things that you should never say to your child for social emotional development. And it's like, and then if I happen to read it, I'm like, well, I failed because I've definitely yeah, said that. Right. You know? <laughs> I actually said one just this morning. Right. I know, right. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then it's like, you know, and then it doesn't say like, well, if you do this, try this. It's like, oh, that's it. It's done. <laughs> well, it's not done. You're not done parenting, you know? So like yeah. <laughs> you still have time to re redeem yourself. Yeah. What have your children taught you the most about being a parent? I mean, I, I am. So I just talked about how, like, there's so much social emotional stuff <laughs> to take in, but I, I think the thing that, um, it is really, really important to me that my kids know that when I made a mistake, I made a mistake. Right. Mm. And I think like having to just own that with your kids has made it a lot easier for me to accept when I make mistakes. Um, and you know, you want to have like that same feeling for other people, like that empathy of, okay, I know when my little guy messed something up, like he takes it hard, he feels bad about himself. Like, and, and to me, I want him to just shrug it off. And then mm -hmm. you realize like, Ooh, I, <laughs> yeah, but do I, I do also, the same thing? Yeah. I also need to be okay with the fact that like, we're going to make mistakes and, you know, I think that it's really, that's one thing that they have taught me to be better about is just letting it go when I mess up. And mm -hmm. it's almost like when you learn to just like apologize or own up to something to a kid, it's like way easier actually than doing it in a lot of, you know, more kind of high stakes feeling environments. And at the same time, it's also like, you just have to get in the habit of it. Like the first time you do it, you're like, this feels weird. Um, but I think that's probably the thing they that they've changed about my parenting is just being cool with, Hey, I made a mistake. I didn't play this right. I didn't handle it the way that I wish I would have. And I'm going to just tell you that and we're going to move on. Right. And hopefully that helps them do the same thing when they make mistakes. Cause you know, we're all going to make them hundreds right. of them every day. It's a great lesson yeah. for sure. For our final question, what is your biggest advice to share with new parents? Well, it's a little bit embedded maybe in what we do at Partum, but, you know, I think preparing and giving yourself support, um, not feeling like you have to, or should do it all yourself. Right. And I think that that's, it's a little bit of like an American centric kind of way of thinking. And mm -hmm. some of it is how we've changed the way we live or where our families are, or how frequently we've you know, decided to move across the country. There's a lot of different like influences for it, but I, I think a lot of people feel like I should be able to do this myself. I should be able to figure it out. Um, and I think if you can reverse that to say, wouldn't this be so much more joyful if we were doing it with help? And if we let, you know, other, if we leaned on other people for support and we let them be a part of this, you know, really amazing experience too. Um, and that's, that's not an absolute, but I think if you can go into it with that mindset that bringing more people in is not like in some way, not being able to do it yourself, but it's actually 
like choosing a better possibly, um, mm-hmm. or at least in, in a different way to do things. Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, I always tell people like, it's a relatively new invention, this idea of us like being on our own and not having, you know, multi-generations in the same home or at least very close or, you know, like you said, across the country or whatever. And just trying to give people that perspective of like, this wasn't really how it was designed to be done. Like it's okay to reach out for help because like, you know, whatever you believe in, people have always had other people around them for a long time in this period until now, now we've decided to isolate ourselves. Yeah. And I think if you can say even like that idea of not just like, it's okay if you need help, but actually like it's, it's better. (laughs) It's better if you give yourself support, if you give Mm -hmm. yourself help, like it's better for you, it's better for the kid. Um, you know, and that sort of like takes not only the shame, but it sort of like puts it on a pedestal that like, Hey, you've made a smart decision to actually give yourself like what you need and what your family needs. Yes. Yes. That's actually very smart. Well, we are out of time. Thank you for joining us for episode 26 of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. And thank you to our guest, Megan Doyle, co-founder and CEO of Partum Health. Thank you, Megan. Thanks, Lisa.